Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. two months now, we have been reading 2,000-year-old mail. Colossians, you remember, is a letter. Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul, who was zealous for the law of God. Paul, who persecuted followers of Jesus mercilessly. Paul, who wanted nothing more than to destroy the church until he encountered Jesus. Paul was confronted by the crucified and resurrected Son of God. He was knocked off his feet by Jesus, and he was never the same. Paul was saved by grace, transformed by grace. And this once persecutor of the church became its greatest preacher. This one who sought to destroy the church spent the rest of his life building it up. Paul was sent to the Gentiles, non-Jews, to proclaim Jesus, to preach the gospel, good news. The good news that in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, you're free, free from sin, free from death, free from the evil one. The good news that through Jesus, you are forgiven. He has canceled your debt of sin. The good news that claimed by Jesus, you have life, full life here and now, and the promise of eternal life, forever and ever life with the Savior. A life of of no tears, no suffering, no aging, no death. The good news that all of this is a gift from the Father. It's a gift of love with, with no strings attached. A gift that you did not deserve. But that that's grace. And it's enough. Jesus is enough. You don't need more, and you can't have less. Now, that's been Paul's message thus far in his letter to the church in Colossae, and that's been Paul's message to you. Jesus is enough. And it's a a challenging message because so often we want more, or we think we need more, or we think there, there has to be more. Now, if we, if we were honest, honest to God, honest, there are times when we just don't think that Jesus is enough, that grace is enough, because it seems too easy. It's too simple. It's too free. But it's not. Salvation is in Jesus alone. Nothing more, nothing less. And if if you've been confronted by grace, if you have been gifted faith, then you have new life. 
And that's what Paul means when he writes this in verse one of our passage from Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, you've been raised to new life. You've been given new life by the Father. It also means you've died with Christ. Your old sin-sick, sin-filled, broken, cursed-to-death self is now dead. It's no more. Nailed to the cross with Jesus. In Jesus, you're new. You're renewed. You have life. Salvation. And this is signified in your baptism. Well, now the, the, the question arises, okay, then how do you live that life? If you have new life, if you've been given new life, how do you live it? How do you live a life of faith? How do you live saved by grace? How do you live in Christ? Well, Paul spends the rest of the letter addressing this, this question. Several of Paul's letters, including Romans and Ephesians, are divided just like this. First, he proclaims the gospel. Then he describes living the gospel. Christianity is not just head knowledge. Christianity is not just heart feeling. Christianity is lived. You live it out. Jesus says, follow me. The one who died for you says, follow me. The one who gives you life says, follow me. Now, our passage today doesn't get specific. Paul will get specific about what new life in Jesus looks like, and we'll see that starting next week. But our passage today seeks to give proper orientation, proper focus, proper direction for new life in Jesus. And Paul does so with two phrases. Listen again to, to verses 1 and 2 from Colossians 3, or part of verses 1 and 2 from Colossians 3. Paul writes, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, the two, the two are connected, but let's examine each one separately. First, Paul says, seek the things that are above. And Paul defines above. Above is where Christ is. Above is where Jesus is, seated at God's right hand. And the right hand is the position of power, the position of authority, of might, of honor, of majesty and splendor, where he is unceasingly praised. Above is heaven. Paul is telling us to seek heaven, to seek the things of heaven. Now, when Paul says seek, he's using that word in a particular way. He's not using it in this sense, not using it in this sense. We seek to be a faithful community of Jesus. Now, in, in this sense, we're, what we're saying is that we're trying to be a faithful community of Jesus. We're striving to be a faithful community of Jesus. In this case, the word seek means to try harder or to work more, or to strive after. 
Now, that's not, that's not what Paul's getting at. Nor is seek used in the sense to possess something. It's not the same as saying, hey, we're, we're, we're off tomorrow to seek our fortune. In that type of seeking, you want to get it because you don't have it. You want to get it and hold it. You want to own it. You want to possess it. Now, if you have new life in Jesus, you don't have to strive for heaven. You don't have to work for heavenly status. If you've been raised with Jesus, you don't have to gain heaven. You don't have to possess heavenly status. Why? Because you already have it. Jesus has given it to you. You don't have to work. You don't have to strive. You don't have to worry. You've got it now. Now, true, it's not complete. You're not there yet. But you do have new life, and you have the promise. You have the promise of heaven. And not only is it a promise, it's the goal. It's the prize. It's the purpose. It's the destination. It's where we are headed. Heaven. And, and, and not just heaven for heaven's sake, but to be with Jesus. To be with the Savior, our Savior, in his presence forever. Now, th th this, by the way, is one of the things Muslims who convert to Christianity initially find attractive about Christianity. In Islam, you are unsure about the afterlife. You're unsure about heaven. You, you spend your life not knowing your, your, your status after you die. You're, you're not sure where you stand with Allah. You seek, you strive, you work hard, and you still don't know. There is eternal uncertainty. But in Jesus Christ, you know. In Jesus Christ, there is assurance. Seeking is not striving. Seeking is not possession. Seeking is orientation. Now, how do we know for certain that's what Paul means, that, that I'm not just make, making this up? Well, well, first of all, striving and working does not match up with Paul's message in the first two chapters of Colossians that message of grace. And second, we have this phrase in verse two. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now the phrase, the phrase set your minds is the Greek word that means think. I mean, li literally this says think on the things that are above. But what Paul has in mind here is more than an intellectual exercise. Paul uses the word think to mean focus, to mean aim, concentration, orientation of the will. And that's why it's translated, set your minds. If you have new life in Jesus, if you've been raised in Jesus, Paul says, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Seek heaven. Set your mind on heaven. Orient your life toward heaven. Why? So that it might guide your thinking and living and being and doing. Why? Because Jesus is there. Why? Because that's our goal. That's our prize. That's our destination. That's our purpose. In other words, orient your life toward Jesus. Focus your life upon Jesus so that he might guide your thinking and living and being and doing. 
It's like, it's like an athlete. It's like a, a football team. Now, next week is this, the big game. Next week is the Super Bowl. And the Bengals and, and the Rams have been oriented all season long to winning. They've been oriented all season long to winning a championship. They set their minds on a championship. They were focused on a championship. That was the prize. That was the purpose. That was the destination. And everything that each team did all season was guided by this orientation, guided by this focus. Their thinking and living and being and doing was all guided by this, a trip to the Super Bowl. And whether it was eating or training or practice or rest or conversations or interviews or personnel changes or thoughts or dreams, I guarantee it was oriented toward next Sunday in Los Angeles. Now, that's what Paul's talking about, that kind of orientation where we are oriented toward heaven, where we keep our eyes upon Jesus and our lives are guided by it, whether it's our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our conversations, our hopes, our dreams, our time, our money, our energy, to have them oriented on heaven, directed toward heaven, focused on Jesus, just like the Bengals or Rams are on a championship. Now, now this focus, don't, 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 don't take me wrong here. This, this focus, this orientation is not escape. Seeking heaven, setting our mind on heaven is not an otherworldliness where we don't care about the here and there. Well, where we don't care about this life. A heavenly focus means living here and now. It means living obediently in this world, week to week, day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. Again, back, back, back to our illustration of, of, of football teams. The, the Bengals and the Rams had to play 17 games to reach the Super Bowl. They had to play 68 quarters of football to reach the Super Bowl. They had to execute passes and make tackles and run routes and block and take hits. They had to play each game to get to the championship. They, they, they couldn't just think about lifting the Lombardi Trophy and spraying champagne. Their orientation drove their day-to-day hour to hour, minute to minute living. And so should our orientation on Jesus. Heaven. Now, the alternative is that we're oriented toward things on this earth where we seek the earthly, where we set our minds on that which was created. And that can be anything in our lives, anything around us. It can be work, it can be family, it can be hobbies or pleasure or entertainment. It can be politics, it can be an ideology, it can be football, it can be morality. Whatever, whatever you orient your life toward other than Jesus, and you will live your life based on that orientation. You'll make decisions, you'll spend money, you'll form relationships, you'll focus your thoughts upon and act on this orientation. And this can happen to any of us. We have new life in Jesus, but we're still broken. We're still sinners. We're easily distracted, we're easily disoriented. And when we, when we turn from the light, when we turn from the light of the world, Jesus, we walk in darkness. We get snared, we get tangled, we get caught, we, we lose our way. And that's what happened to Solomon in our Old Testament reading. 
Solomon was king of God's people. Solomon was the son of David. Solomon had been blessed with wisdom, blessed with riches and power and glory, all gifts from the Lord. Solomon built God's temple in Jerusalem. He was faithful to the Lord. He was oriented on the Lord. The kingdom of Israel was at its height under Solomon, but it all changed. Solomon got disoriented. And his disorientation came from 700 wives. Verse 4 of our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings 11 says this. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Solomon set his mind on earthly things pleasing his wives, pleasing his wives who did not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, pleasing his wives who did not know the Lord. And Solomon's time and his energy and his money and his thoughts turned to this orientation. He built altars and places of sacrifices to idols for all his foreign wives. The wisest king in the world lost his way. He became disoriented in the dark. And if he can, so can we. So can we. And that's why we need God's word. So that when we become disoriented, when we, when we lose our way, God's word can remind us to point us to the light, to reorient us to Jesus. And that's why we need community. That's why we need one another. So that when we become disoriented, when we lose our way, we can remind each other, remind each other of what Paul told the Colossians 2,000 years ago. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 